Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 46 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Allie here with Becky. Hey guys. And we are talking all about postpartum nutrition, a topic that is very relevant to me right now and one that I've become super passionate about, especially when seeing mamas give and give and give and forget all about themselves. Yeah, I know I've had a lot of friends having babies right now, and it seems like they're all kind of overtired and stressed and wired out and just totally forgetting about their own self-care and prioritizing self. And as the phrase goes, oxygen mask on you first (laughs) before your child. And if you are fatigued and flatlined, you are not going to be the greatest support for your household, your family, and ultimately your child, which is the goal of all of this, yes. That's a really good reminder. Um, So Allie, let's get to it. I know you have a lot to share with listeners today. So let's talk about first the underlying issue in terms of hormonal fluctuation and imbalance that happens postpartum. Yes. So when we talk about micronutrient deficiencies, we talk about three different reasons why an individual could be deficient. So it could be increased demand. It could be inability to absorb or use the nutrients. And then it could be also just inadequate intake. And I think when we're talking about postpartum, it's the first and the third that are really the biggest hit. And increased demand for sure. Increased demand is going to be through the caring of a child. And I'm going to delve deeper into that. So you're growing a baby and then you You have the demands postpartum after laboring, which is an intensive process, and then delivery and recovery post-surgery or post-vaginal delivery. Either way, it's a pretty high-stress influence on the body. And then also the demand postpartum of stress, of being on low sleep, you're going to be on high demand. You're also maybe Googling more than you ever did with higher anxiety levels about what's going on, especially new mamas. So there's definitely big demand, physiological and mental demand. And then we also see the inadequate intake because busy mamas are typically, again, prioritizing baby, not thinking about themselves, going long periods of times without eating and nourishing themselves. So hopefully we'll hit a little deeper today about what the demand really is and some of the influences and mechanisms of that, as well as how we can help you mom replete those deficiencies and focus on healthy habits and behaviors to keep rocking and and replete your deficiencies. So let's talk about the actual hormonal influence. um, And let's talk a little bit about um, the influence of both growing a child and then delivering that child and delivering the placenta. What happens in that exchange? So so yes, you have to make a human and in the process Mm -hmm. of making a human, uh, you also are going to be building this placenta, which is this life force. And when we deliver the baby, you know, it, it, 
we also deliver the placenta and that happens after that sometimes we have to give more Pitocin to help with passing the placenta and that can happen somewhere up of 10 to 10 minutes to an hour after birth. And the placenta is this endocrine or hormonal organ that provides a transfer of oxygen and carbon dioxide. So it's giving the respiration quotient to the baby as well as hormones, nutrients, wastes, and if it passes nutrients, takes away waste from the baby. And it's this kind of ongoing chain mechanism essentially between mommy and fetus. And after delivery, when we release this placenta, this can be a huge driver of still nutritional density that needs to be delivered to baby. And in that process of delivery, uh, the placenta often just gets discarded. And so that's a depletion and a loss from the mama, but also it could be a potential loss from baby as well. Okay, so we're exchanging nutrients and waste. Um, and then what are the major hormonal contributions from the placenta? So there's also the, the two major steroidal and sexual hormones, estrogen and progesterone. So in the early onsets of pregnancy, first and second, and into the middle of the third trimester, the progesterone is going to be peaking higher. This is what, of course, supports healthy pregnancy and prevents things like miscarriage by supporting the lining of the uterus. This also prevents the shedding of the lining. So it's going to help to build a thick, healthy uterus to allow healthy implantation and fetal development. It also suppresses the uterine's ability to contract, which is what prevents early labor. So as we get into that third trimester and it feels so long, then the estrogen starts to pick up towards the end and that stimulates the growth of the uterus to accommodate the fetus as it expands, but it also helps with contraction. So it counter affects the progesterone, which allows the uterine uh, lining to start to break down, which stimulates the delivery process. And then estrogen also plays a huge role with breastfeeding. It actually stimulates the mammary glands and uh, plays a big role with letdown and breast milk production. And then there's a couple other hormones involved, um, some protein regulating hormones, um, HCG, which is the main hormone we test for presence of pregnancy. This is actually produced also by the placenta, uh, which plays a huge role in postpartum weight loss and metabolism. We can see uh, relaxin and kisspeptin. Relaxin helps with uh, re relaxing the ligaments. That's why I remember doing bar method classes late later in my pregnancy, and I could do the splits again. You actually have to watch out because you can you have overstretch. You to be careful, yeah. <laughs> Yes, you can overstretch. And then that funny sounding one, kispeptin, uh, does play a role with lining the womb, the endometrium. And this is where we see endometriosis sometimes getting resolved postpartum because it actually resets with this kispeptin hormone. Uh, so it can actually reset that endometrial lining. Okay. So beyond the hormonal influences of this gland, um, you mentioned that it's often kind of discarded and, and kind of a secondary gland that we just you know, you deliver it and then you toss it out. Um, what are the major nutritional contributors? Let's delve a little bit deeper into what nutrients the placenta actually provide. Yeah. So like I mentioned, we, I think of, there's some really beautiful placenta art actually done with dried placentas where they look like these like root trees. And I, I recommend, well, maybe depending on your queasiness, you listeners, but Googling what a placenta <laughs> looks like, the, the main mm -hmm. vein, you know, that's what passes to the umbilical cord. And that's what we're clamping at, upon delivery and, and 
dad maybe is cutting in, in the OR or in the delivery room or at home if it's a home birth. And so it's, it is truly the lifeline that connects mommy's body to the fetal development. And the main nutrients that are passed are going to be iron and all of the oxygenation, as I mentioned, minerals, a lot of mineral-rich compounds, and then B vitamins are huge, just like we see in most organs in general. And so there's a huge disconnect with the blood transmission, again, post-delivery. The infant can have up to a third of its blood volume still in that placenta. And so if we deliver baby and we clamp the cord immediately and then cut, that baby can have a more difficult time developing ample red blood cells and it could be more set towards respiratory distress and delayed cognition or cognitive decline. So I definitely recommend ensuring by delayed clamping, so this would be, sometimes they'll call it milking the cord, where you allow the placenta to be birthed and you set it in a separate bowl or dish or compartment and you actually allow that placenta to stay connected and you can actually milk, kind of like physiologically press and massage on the cord towards baby from the placenta and that connect, like I said, a third of the blood volume. That's also where we get a lot of those vital compounds like the immunoglobulins, the nutrients that would help against autoimmune disease, stem cells, and then those minerals such as iron and manganese, magnesium, chromium, all, all the necessary uh, minerals. But big thing, respiration and brain development are the big influences we see. That's huge, Allie. And so even um, with a hospital birth, is this something that listeners would be able to request Absolutely. or that can so be accommodated? You'd want to put it in your birth plan. And, and I think mm -hmm. more and more, I'll, I'll, I'll start to give you guys more resources on this as I get above the water. And my, my Stella is now 13 months. So it's like, oh, what a flash of light that all was. Um, and even as, as those of you listeners that know that I had an emergency C-section, we still did uh, delayed clamping and were able to do that. So uh, even with the C-section, they, they cannot delay as much because it's, of course, a higher risk. But we were able to do a slight cord delay. I, I believe they were able to do uh, one and a half minutes. And in that 90 seconds, my midwife was in there like really rubbing the cord, which is still a dynamic change. Okay. So now what about talking about the consumption of placenta? I've heard about women encapsulating their placenta or using it in smoothies. I Tell think, me about that. I think Kourtney Kardashian made it super <laughs> on. It's hip now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> who knows? I, I think that honestly, though, people are starting to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, so there's a couple different compounds that would be beneficial to consider consuming the placenta. And I'll talk a little bit about the pros and cons. So there is a placental opioid enhancing factor, the POEF, and this actually helps with regulation of pain. So this actually naturally stimulates our immune system and reduce and, and increases our endorphins, which helps us to reduce pain experience and pain perception. It also has a little bit of a bliss oxytocin factor. And then there is direct oxytocin from the placenta release as well, which further reduces pain and oxytocin is that love hormone, remember, so it helps with the bonding of the mother and child. So reduced pain, more bliss, more bond. That's something that can be of benefit. Prolactin is also going to be in that placenta, and this helps with lactation, so definitely helps with uh, healthy breast milk production and letdown. And then the gonadotropin hormones, so these are all of our sexual hormones, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone are all going to be present in that placenta. So this can actually help with mood stability, it can regulate cramping, 
It can help with depression and anxiety, which we'll speak to a little bit further. It can normalize libido and rebound, as well as metabolism. And then finally, there are some prostaglandins that work as anti-inflammatory mediators, which work hand in hand with those opioid enhancing factors. So we're actually reducing the inflammation postpartum as well as the pain experience. It's wild how intuitive the body is. It knows exactly it provides what you everything need. It, it provides needs. everything. Yeah. But yet, again, in the standard medical model, it's so discarded. And then mom has this dynamic crash. You know, it's this high sure. endorphin, high epinephrine experience of, of birth. And then there's dynamic crashing that can occur. And so it, it's definitely something um, to consider. So, yeah, potentially placental consumption could Um, at least help with some of that crash and that bottom out of hormones that we talked about. Um, So did you eat yours, Allie? So I had my placenta encapsulated. And again, I had an emergency C-section. So the woman that I had, I had, my midwife was going to be preserving it in my home birth. I was going to do a home water birth. The whole plan was that I was going to save a third of the placenta raw to use in smoothies, and then I was going to encapsulate and dehydrate the other part by a service. Um, And so when I had to get transferred for the emergency C-section, I did find one woman that that would come to the hospital. However, um, I was just not comfortable with the situation. I talked through my surgery team about them not using any sterilizing compounds. However, it was a super sterile environment, be that it was a dynamic surgery and then with the complications that came from the Mullerian fusion that I had going on in my uterus, I know that there was much more distress. Uh, And then the woman that ended up coming and be that I knew I was also on morphine and things like that. So I wasn't super excited about this primary organ that filters toxins. I I wasn't sure about that. And I need to look deeper into that. But the woman that came to pick up the placenta came without a cooler. (laughs) And my placenta apparently had been stored for, at that point, I think 24 hours off-site. I was told that it wasn't treated with anything, but I had no, you know, I, it was it was too far outside of my direct control that I just didn't feel comfortable. So I went ahead and got it encapsulated. Like I said, I was a little concerned that she didn't have a cooler. I was worried about like foodborne illness and it traveling. And so I, I actually had a cooler that I had my gelatin and bone broth in that I gave to her and got ice packs from the nursing station. She took it. She did uh, preserve and dry a part of the placenta, which I have still. And then she did encapsulate it. And, and my kind of idea was if I experience dynamic symptoms of postpartum, I'm going to play with trying it, but I'm going to see where my body's at and use these therapeutic foods first because I don't feel a hundred percent like this was within my control, the extraction process. And I was worried about iatrogenic complications or medical intervention based <laughs> complications sure. of additives, sterilizers, un- uncontrolled, uh, like I said, storage, and then potentially the drug interaction prior and leading up to with all of the pain medications and, and how that organ would be affected. Got it. Yep. That's following your intuition. I support <laughs> that for sure. So, um, yes, so I can't uh, speak to the experience, unfortunately. Yeah. But for our listeners who want to know more about Allie's birth story and third trimester, it's episode 27. So check that one out if you want to hear more about this whole experience. Yes. And on that episode, I talk a little bit about vaginal inoculation and how you can best do a natural C-section. I also have a blog, a a blog called My Natural C-section. So that's something you could check out for the the Cliff's Notes per se. (laughs) Awesome. So beyond the placenta, there's also this long-term demand that's occurring on the body 
um, both with growing the baby and delivering and recovery from the delivery. So let's talk about the nutrients that can become deficient just from carrying the baby in the delivery process. Sure. And so, yeah, for, you know, 40 weeks, your body is rapidly developing cells and growing organs and glands and tissues. And it, it's wild, uh, the, the abilities of the human body. And it does take quite a tax on the mama. And so three main nutrients of focus. The first one that I see clinically the highest in moms after we look at their nutrients is uh, overall fatty acids, especially those omega-3 fatty acids. So Fatty acids are used for brain development. They are a primary source of fuel for the body. They help with also organ development. And then the omega-3s are anti-inflammatory. And that DHA, we primarily focus on cognition and cognitive improvement. And that's why now DHA is in a lot of formulas. I give Stella a fish oil with DHA, of course, still to date, because it has been shown in research to help with cognition and brain development. So that's a huge area of demand for mama, and uh, we can definitely see symptoms of deficiency such as memory loss, poor circulation, so like cold or warm extremities, flashing of body temperature, and that could be great fluctuations. We can also see body fat accumulation with deficiency of fatty acids and fat compounds, and then uh, higher propendencies towards inflammatory processes, so generalized aches, weakness, fatigue. Okay, so that one I think of as like, the driver for what we call baby brain, um, yes. and that kind of postpartum, you know, three, six months of, I can't remember what I'm doing. Absolutely. And we attribute that to sleep deprivation, but it also could be a nutrient deficiency. Yes, and, you know, fats, unfortunately, are harder to grab on the go. We're getting better and better. And, and we'll talk in a moment. I don't want to give too much away right now as far as food solutions. But when we get to food solutions, I'll make sure I talk about some that are quick grab because often the quick grab foods are carbs, right? And then those spike our blood sugars, lead us to a crash and, and, and are not as stabilizing for hormones as the fats are as well. So coming up with compact, easy grab and go fat options is a great thing to focus on. Yeah, definitely. So, um, Allie, what about iron? I know there's the blood loss that happens, um, during delivery, but there are other reasons for iron deficiency yes. um, postpartum. Yes. And so, you know, during your pregnancy, the demands increase by 50%. That's one of the most common, I think it is the most common deficiency during pregnancy. And so the doctors are always running your hematocrit and hemoglobin and, and looking for anemia. I personally did have uh, anemia and petechiae is a symptom of anemia where we get these red dots on the skin, which was moderately concerning, especially with my plan initially of a home birth because of bleed out and not having potentially the use of Pitocin to help with blood loss. So uh, iron deficiency is, is very common. It's because we are growing red blood cells very rapidly and giving that away through, again, the carriage through the placenta. So symptoms of iron deficiency can be seen as shortness of breath. That's huge. So it's not just the weight of the baby and the extra pounds that we're like gasping with or the pressure on the lungs. It can also be iron deficiency, something to definitely screen for brain fog as well and uh, fatigue can be big symptoms and then like I said the petechia is a visual symptom which would be these red dots and uh, something to definitely watch out for okay got it and then what about folic acid so we see this in our prenatal vitamins um, and then b vitamins as well yes so folic acid and B vitamins are, are huge. They play a big role with fetal development. We think of folic acid as the brain tube development uh, to help with 
actually closure of the skull and playing a beneficial role of that neurological connection within the uh, brain and head for baby. And then during uh, lactation, the B vitamins are really required for secretion and production. So even in that last trimester, the B vitamins are definitely on higher demand. And then organ development, as I mentioned, the B vitamins being very rich in the placenta are utilized in demand of building organs for baby, as well as depleted in stress. So, you know, we are typically under higher stress, either with anticipatory stress of what's happening in my body or what's going to happen after this thing comes out of my body. And so that tends to, we use those B vitamins as cofactors. So this is things like our B6 uh, to help with serotonin production or GABA as these landing gear for our anxiety and then uh, other neuro compounds. And so symptoms we can see with the Bs dropping could be anxiety, that could be a big one. Also low output with breast milk production, so definitely important to stay on those prenatals postpartum that have those methylated folate and methylated B12 and beneficial compounds. And then I think I mentioned anxiety, brain fog. So you'll see there's a trend in all three of these. There's mm-hmm. cognitive and emotional elements that can be playing a role. So it, it may not just be in your head, ladies. It could be a, a deficiency for sure. Okay, and then beyond growing the baby, delivering the baby, what about breastfeeding? So many women are you know, choosing, if you do choose to breastfeed, it could be for six months, it could be for an entire year or beyond. What are the nutritional hits? Um, that and come to be from breastfeeding. Clear, we strongly yep. recommend breastfeeding. And August is breastfeeding focus month. <laughs> so yes, breastfeeding, breast is best, absolutely. And again, like we were saying, nature cannot anticipate what the body provides. We're still learning about the nutrients involved in breast milk. And so I have another fun uh, blog that maybe Becky, we can put in the show notes on, I think it's called Nature's Perfect Food. And it's all about breastfeeding and breast milk. And absolutely, the immunoglobulins, we cannot mimic in formula. We're finally starting to add things like probiotics to formula. And like I said, that DHA to formula. But but breast milk is just astronomically better. And so if we can't produce, looking into something like Le Leche League or uh, doing breast milk donor banks would be the, the next recommendation. So when we are breastfeeding, some primary nutritional deficiencies, I'd go back, I guess, to those B vitamins as well. And and again, because they play a role with lactation, so both secretion and production. And some of the symptoms, new symptoms of the B vitamins that I didn't mention would also be fatigue. So beyond the, the anxiety and the changes in the breast milk, we'd see fatigue in there. We would also see neuropathy. So having that tingling sensation in the hands or feet or like hands and feet, uh, going to sleep per se, that pins and needle effect, those are definitely B vitamin deficiency symptoms as well. The next one would actually be calcium. So calcium starts to get depleted during growing the baby because you're building connective tissue, bone, and and such. And then we have seen in studies that women often lose about 3 to 5% of their bone mass during breastfeeding. So this is due to two things. The drop in estrogen because estrogen helps with bone production and bone maintenance. That's why we often see more osteopenia in women postmenopausally. So the estrogen drop and then also the fact that actual breast milk has high amounts of calcium and that's actually being pulled from our, our bone. 
So that's a dynamic drop that we'll see. And symptoms of calcium deficiency, we can see also anxiety. So going back to the mood trends, we can see muscle cramps and we can see body aches as another one. We can see that same tingling sensation and fatigue or lethargy. And then honestly, really severe calcium deficiency can even drive uh, mental confusion, acute anxiety, and panic attack. So, so something that can be even severe as a mental influence, really driving some of these postpartum flares from a simple calcium deficiency, which is so common to see in breastfeeding mamas. So again, to emphasize, it's not all in your heads, ladies. Um, And some of this can be driven by these nutritional deficiencies. And that's really important to highlight. And the last Um, one, the last one I would do is protein and amino acids. And so, you know, protein is one that we really want to focus on for both, again, during the carrying gestational period of carrying the baby because this helps to create the development. And it also, like I said, rather than going for carbohydrates, is going to keep more blood sugar regulation and, and stabilization in the body. And um, amino acids in particular, like glutamine, is a big one that we tend to see deficient in mamas that have a C-section or have intestinal distress. Uh, mamas that have to go on IV antibiotics uh, if they ha- were positive for strep B. So even if they're doing a vaginal delivery and they're on IV antibiotics, they're going to be much lower in glutamine because this is an amino acid that plays a role with lining the GI tract and those tender gut cells. So when you hit the gut with an atom bomb with an antibiotic, the gut restoration will take a toll on the body and that glutamine will come depleted, which can lead to sore muscles, chronic fatigue, and immune deficiencies. Okay, so we've talked about um, some of the symptoms of deficiencies from all of the different nutrients, um, but what about just general symptoms that we see postpartum? So I think I hit pretty hard. Fatigue and anxiety can be huge. Fatigue, I would say anxiety and depression, I think are are three of the the big wigs. Now, other things that we can see would be hair loss. Hair loss changes in nails. Hair loss can be huge as the protein deficiency. And, you know, when the body has to spare any tissue, hair is usually the first one to go. So hair loss can can happen with thyroid changes in the body also. But typically, nutritional deficiency hair loss would occur from our protein malnourishment. So the body prioritizes reserving other organ function and lets the hair go. So something that's really important to watch for. Gum health and dental health, a huge issue with uh, deficiency of our B vitamins. So easier bleeding gums would be seen with like B12 deficiency and such. Also niacin or or B3, we can see deficiencies with gum bleeding and and dental caries or, or cavities can be seen postpartum and actually during pregnancy as well. And that's because our immune system is suppressed. So our immune system is suppressed so that we don't reject baby. If our immune system is hypervigilant, it kind of could see the baby as a foreign antigen or foreign compound and start to go into this auto attack mode. So the immune system is greatly suppressed and that allows bad bacteria overgrowth in the mouth or oral cavity. So something we could definitely do would be oil pulling throughout the pregnancy, which could be healthy to help to keep healthy gum tissue and and then microbia. How do we oil pull? Let's just interject for a minute and and talk about that. So oil pulling, I like to recommend coconut oil because it has some natural antimicrobial, antiviral, and antifungal compounds. So your raw uh, first virgin coconut oil would be put like a tablespoon in the mouth. And so it might be liquid if it's August in 
Austin <laughs> or, or room temperature could be solid depending on where you're living and the time of the year. But you'd be taking that tablespoon of coconut oil and you let it melt in your mouth and you just swish it like I'm doing a little squirrel squish, like as if you have mouthwash, but you're not gurgling. And so in that swishing motion, you're actually upregulating your circulatory flow to your periodontal tissue, your gum tissue, and you're actually pulling some of those fatty compounds into the gum tissue, which help with that, again, bacteria reset. This also helps a little bit with a moderate detoxification of compounds and helps to clean in that area. So uh, increasing circulation and helping to regulate the biome or the bacteria in the mouth are great ways to, pre to prevent gum disease and also help with cavity regulation. And, and you could do that. Go ahead. I was going to say you could do that for what, about 10, 15 minutes at night? Yeah. Or... So one thing I like to kind of do is maybe during a shower, uh, I'll just kind of put my, I keep some coconut oil always in my bathroom because I'll put it on my uh, body post shower too sometimes. And I was definitely using that a lot during pregnancy for stretch mark prevention, <laughs> rubbing it all over everywhere. Um, and then during breastfeeding to help with any issues and preventing mastitis. Um, and so definitely had a big old jug of <laughs> coconut oil in my bathroom and I would just take a spoon in my my mouth during shower so as I'm like washing my hair and stuff it's just passive and you're just kind of swishing and then you would discard that into like a tissue and, and that could be thrown in the trash or, or flushed yes so don't um I don't know if you want to put it down your sink because it yes. might clog the pipe no don't do that yes <laughs> So maybe going back to other deficiencies, sorry for the sidebar, guys, but any of you, regardless of your stage of life and if, you know, men and women, oil pulling is an awesome thing. So going on to other, other issues with postpartum, we talked about fatigue and anxiety. We talked about hair loss, gum health. Another one is metabolic shifts. And I think this is huge for all the mamas that can't lose that last 5 to 10 or 15 pounds of baby weight. So seeing weight gain and an increased body fat or loss of muscle can definitely be a postpartum influence of hormones as well as nutritional deficiencies and an imbalanced distribution of your macronutrients. So, and, and maybe an imbalanced distribution of the timing of eating. So if you're eating really infrequently or irregularly, you're having one meal like a sumo wrestler and it's this high carb, you know, pizza or whatever, that's going to definitely tell your body to store that excess fuel as fat and going to definitely hinder your metabolic processes. Okay. And then what about um, muscular or structural yes. symptoms? So, so like we talked about that relaxin can lead to relaxation in the tendons and joints. So we can actually see weakened hips and back because of that. And because of the way that baby is situated, especially towards the end, uh, we can also be prone towards diastasis recti, which is like a perforation between our abdominal muscles. And so that can cause a lot of distress on the body as well as being visibly, visibly just not as appealing. And so something, you know, definitely working on core work postpartum is a, a big piece of, of keeping that all tight and, and back together. Breached babies, because their their head is, is harder, when, when a baby's breached, they're more prone, mamas are more prone towards that diastasis recti. It really tears that upper diaphragm abdomen area. I never thought of that with the breech baby being more of an impact, but that makes sense. I feel it every day. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> And then I think we hit heavily the last one, which would be cognition and cognitive decline, uh, which I think it could be put kind of up with the anxiety, mood stability, depression, brain fog, but cognitive in general as well is a, a big symptom of that postpartum. A lot of mamas will say, I feel like I delivered half my brain with my baby. <laughs> I'm just like not there. 
think you kind of did. So let's replete with some omega-3s. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So yeah, so so let's talk about maybe some of the nutrients. Um, I think this is this is our favorite this is our favorite part of the show when we get to talk about the nutrients that we can get you back on track with using food as medicine. So maybe starting with the omega-3 fatty acids. So my best recommendation here would be looking at the uh, wild caught fish. So we've heard, you know, mama's watching those large fish because of mercury contamination. We do want to encourage fish consumption at least two to three times a week, but choosing the smaller fish is going to be best. So I'm a big fan of skipjack, which is a lower mercury fish, a smaller fish, and kind of in the tuna family, very similar flake size, very similar flavor profile. We have some awesome recipes on the blog. The uh, Maybe we can link, Becky, the Mediterranean tuna avocado. Because, yep, I was just typing yes. that in. <laughs> so that has, of course, your healthy fats with your uh, avocado and then also some folate with the avocado and other B vitamins, potassium. So we're getting good minerals, B vitamins, healthy fats, of course, the base foundation has fat. And then filling that with those omega-3 fatty acids of the skipjack, topping it with olives for more of that baseline oleic compound. And so we're going to definitely be repleting our fatty acids with that dish. Other things to consider would be uh, pasture-raised egg yolks and grass-fed proteins in general. Those are going to have our CLAs, which are conjugated linoleic acids. And when ruminants or uh, ruminants would be animals that eat grass, eat grasses, they make more of these CLAs. And then when the chickens are pasture-raised, they tend to have higher omega-3 compounds in their yolks. So a great nutritional density. And then those yolks are also a rich form of choline. And choline is a nutrient that works very in hand-in-hand with folate to help with that neural tube development and also the brain development for babies. So huge uh, focus with our eggs. Uh, Hard-boiled eggs would be a great on-the-go snack or quick scramble uh, and then and then the fish. Now you could do chia or flaxseed for omega-3. However, you're getting this in the ALA form, not the EPA DHA form. You only get the EPA DHA form when an animal does the work for you. And so when you're eating the actual fish oil, or eating the fatty fish themselves, you're gonna get the bioactive EPA and DHA. When we consume the flax seed or the chia seed or other omega-3 rich nuts and seeds like walnuts and such, our liver and kidneys have to go through a process of delongase and desaturase 18 and 16 times to activate and make those EPA and DHA. And I generally say that our liver and kidneys have a lot of other work to do. (laughs) And so, you know, if you can get the bioactive, that's always going to be best, especially for repletion or really high demand. I was going to say new moms already have enough things going on and enough to do and their bodies are already working that much harder. So while chia and flax could be great sources of fiber, um, I still would recommend the fish. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And then Allie, what about iron? So iron is, well, one of my favorite tips is using a cast iron pan. That's actually our number one cookware in our household. Yes, it is heavy, but you just have to use two hands. That's one that's hard to cook with when you're searing something and then placing in the oven if you're baby wearing uh, postpartum. However, you know, it's tough to baby wear and cook with high heat anyway. So that's maybe a time to capitalize when baby's napping or you have your partner involved. But cooking with a cast iron pan and using a little bit of acid to deglaze, you're actually absorbing that elemental 
form of iron, which is very bioavailable, and then getting the other iron from its heme form, uh, which is going to be again in the animal-based compounds. So, so iron can be ferrous or ferric, and ferrous is going to be the more bioavailable form of the iron, which in the vegetarian form we're getting ferric. And so again, Animal forms would be like our red meat, so grass-fed beef would be a great thing to incorporate about three times a week. Also, we get our heme iron from our salmon. Basically, anytime you see that dark pigmentation is where you're going to get that hemoglobin heme compound, and that's going to help with our iron repletion. And then again, vegetarian forms of iron-rich foods, which could be like some of our beans, also our spinach is the big one we think of with like Popeye. Those have the ferric form, so we need to add vitamin C or acid to convert that into ferrous for absorption. And so adding things like lemon uh, as an acid on our salads and things like that are going to help with that bioavailability of the vegetarian form and make sure that that's something added in. So adding in your lemon juice to your hummus with your chickpeas would help you absorb the iron in that dish. And it helps to capitalize on flavor, I think, too. So it's Absolutely. win-win, right? <laughs> there's, like you said, you know, there's so much intuition in things that we've done traditionally and culinarily, and, and I think that that really helps uh, to increase bioavailability as well. There's okay. a method to the madness. Yes. So let's talk about folate. You mentioned avocado. What other food as medicine solutions do yes. you have for so us? So when we mention folate, I typically go to foliage. So leafy greens are a big area that we can get a lot of nutritional density. Herbs are a great source of folate as well. And then, uh, you know, so in any, any greens like your lettuces, your rainbow chard, your arugula, all of those would be fantastic to add into a green smoothie to get them really as an easy rapid absorption or as a base of a salad or scrambling into your eggs. All, all great options there. And then liver is going to be the best superfood. So liver is going to be one that you could take in a capsule form. We also have on the blog a liver pate. Uh, liver is your best source of all of those B vitamins. So again, if we're dealing with that fatigue, the anxiety, trying to incorporate liver a couple times a week at about one to two ounce portion. A pate may be the most uh, palatable option. Otherwise, you could make raw liver pills. Uh, but and, and we have that recipe on the blog as well. And then you can also buy, we have on our website, uh, Vital Proteins liver pills, which are dry encapsulated, clean, uh, third-party assessed, and uh, pasture-raised so we don't have to worry about toxicity of that gland. And that's going to have the folate, all of your B vitamins, as well as some iron, which is great. And then you're going to get some of that choline in there too. So, so liver capsules may be something that you'd want to consider if we're really looking to replete the deficiency. Sure. And I'll link to all of those, all three of the options that Allie gave in our show notes. I um, also want to call out the liver pate recipe is kind of multi-purpose. So you can eat it as a spread or a pate in a snack, um, or you can freeze the leftovers in like little muffin tins and then just throw that into maybe if you're batch cooking with the slow cooker, throw it into a stew or a chili or soup or something like that yes. just to add that nutrient density density. We try to incorporate liver into all of our meatloaf and sometimes burger patties. So that would work really fantastic. And our pate is very flavorful, something that's very easy to incorporate. So I love that idea of freezing into like two to three ounce portions, and then you can incorporate that with a pound of meat and your family household members would not even know that it's in there. Sneaky. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that sometimes is the trick. There's, there's definitely that disconnect of, of gland consumption. And, and so, you know, that's, that those are all options to get us there. Sure. Um, all right. So how about calcium, Ellie? 
So calcium, the best option is getting a bioavailable form from bone. So something like sardines, or if you can get canned salmon with the bone in, that sometimes is, sometimes is called traditional canned salmon, but look for bones in. And in that canning process, that actually really softens the bone. So you can just with your fork kind of break it down. We have a really great salmon uh, dip, I believe. Is it called a salmon dip or a salmon spread? Wild salmon dip, I think. Yeah. I'll link to it. Okay. It's fantastic though. And, and so that works really well. And I always recommend doing that recipe with the canned salmon with the bones because you will not even know that they're in there. Sesame seeds are another great form of calcium. So tahini, I'm right now, uh, because Stella is not doing any cow's milk until she cuts her molars, I'm doing that to prevent any ENT drama and ear infections and such. And so far, going on 14 months and ear infection free. I'm very proud of that. Anyway, um, so we're doing a tahini uh, little kind of fat bombs, I guess, where we're taking tahini and balling them up and freezing them. And then she eats those with pieces of fruit. So sesame seeds and sesame seed butter would be a great option for calcium rich foods. And then also our leafy greens would be in this family as well as our almonds and, and other nuts and seeds. Almonds are a good one though. And you'll see that in your almond milk uh, as, a, as a representation that it contains calcium. Most of the almond milk is gonna be calcium fortified and that's gonna be a little bit less bioavailable though. Then we'll definitely get in the bones and some of the other recommendations. Okay, got it. And those tahini little bites, you could add some chocolate or something to it and make little freezer, I don't know, freezer fudge Truffles, or something. yeah. Yeah, sure. I yeah, think yeah. that's on our to-do list. Yeah, we won't put that, that would the show be notes, a, but that's a homework assignment. <laughs> yep, it'd be a good, good breastfeeding bite for sure. Yes, yes, and then maybe the lastly the amino acids. So the first thing that I would go to is the grass-fed whey protein. I'm, as you all know, a huge fan of this. This was my first supplement product to come out with, and the naturally nourished line. Uh, the grass-fed protein is going to also have the immunoglobulins to help with supporting your immune system and recovery. But amino acid compounds are going to be the most bioavailable from grass-fed whey. So this is a great thing as an insurance policy to include a scoop of grass-fed whey throughout your pregnancy and during your postpartum to make sure that you're getting close to that 80 to 100 grams of protein per day. So the scoop has 24 grams. So that's going to really help to get you about you know a quarter of your needs. Another thing to consider for amino acids is, of course, having protein at every single meal. So a biological protein form. And then one that I add in, in addition to grass-fed whey postpartum, I, I was doing in the third trimester and then postpartum, is collagen and gelatin. So collagen can really help with tissue formation for baby as far as healthy tendons, healthy joints, healthy bones. So that's really important during delivery process to be less distressing on baby. Also, this helps with your recovery and your rebound elasticity in the skin. So it can prevent stretch marks and help with tightening up the skin. We know we can use collagen as a facelift. It help, happens and helps internally as well with hair, skin, and nails. So when we see changes with hair thinning, postpartum, collagen could be a great go-to for there as well. And I'll link to Vital Proteins. We're going to have a lot of links in, in these Sounds show notes. Like uh, I'll link to Vital Proteins in the show notes as well. Um, so, Allie, what about supplements? I know there's always concern of what's safe for, you know, when I'm pregnant and what's safe for breastfeeding. Let's talk about some of the safe supplement options for postpartum. Yes. So, I love the the Thorn uh, is the one that I like, the Thorn prenatal. It's a three-a-day capsule prenatal. And yes, you can distribute it in two meals. You don't have to have one per meal. 
but you definitely do want to separate and not take all three at one time for best absorption. And I'd recommend keeping with that about three months postpartum and then shifting to our multi-defense with iron. So the multi-defense is going to have bioactive plant-based compounds. It's called really a smart multivitamin because it has uh, that high ORAC score, so that antioxidant capacity. And then all of the B vitamins are in their methylated bioavailable form. So like methylcobalamin, methylfolate. So if we had any of those genetic SNPs or issues with that MTHFR inability to use or activate the B vitamins, this is giving it to you in a form that is easy to use and optimized for function in your body. And then a really good blend of minerals. So the multi-defense helps to protect your cells, regenerate healthy cells, but also work with your metabolic processes to regulate blood sugar, help with caloric burn, and help with energy and prevention of fatigue. Awesome. And then you mentioned fish oil and omega-3. So what one do you recommend? Yeah, so the, the naturally nourished EPA DHA extra would be an awesome one. Uh, this one we could take two to three capsules of with food or at bed. And so breakfast and dinner, or breakfast and bed would work really nice. Uh, this one has 860 milligrams of EPA and 580 milligrams of DHA in two capsules. So I always recommend trying to get over 1,500 or around 1,500 milligrams of pure omega-3s in a combination of EPA, DHA, which is why then we'd be looking at getting about three capsules to meet that need, especially during a time of inflammatory process or increased omega-3 fatty acid needs. So definitely during that pregnancy and, and postpartum time. Now, right leading up to the five days uh, towards your due date or maybe a week towards your due date, you may consider reducing that back down to one or two because the omega-3 can be a blood thinner. So be mindful of that. Maybe as you get into week 38, you might reduce your fish oil down to one a day just so that we don't have any concerns with bleed out or excessive blood loss during the, the delivery. And then you could bump that right back up post postpartum and during recovery. Okay, sure. And then what about iron? What would you recommend? So there's a great product called Hemogenics. It's by Metagenics. Uh, we can put the link in our show notes. It has all of your methylated B vitamins, and then it does have iron in a form of bisglycinate, which is the most bioavailable form. I believe it's 29 milligrams. I'm going off of memory, but I'm pretty confident because I am repleted. <laughs> anyway, um, the hemogenics I think has 29 milligrams of the bioavailable form in the iron uh, glycinate form, which is gonna be a chelated, highly bioavailable. And then the B vitamins to help with red blood cell formation and repletion. So it helps definitely with rebounding that hemoglobin and hematocrit. I used this when I was dealing with that petechiae. Uh, my prenatal had, I believe, 45 milligrams of iron. And I had, was recommended to take 90. So I took the, the two of the hemogenics and then my uh, prenatal. And then I definitely upped my vitamin C. Vitamin C helps with platelet formation. And so uh, bumping up your platelet count and regulating your platelet count. And so that I think had a huge role with the petechiae as well. I was taking two to three grams of vitamin C per day during the end of my second trimester into my third trimester. Okay, and then what other supplements would you recommend, Ali? So what about calcium? So the calcium one that I'd recommend is, is called Bone Builder Extra Strength. So this has an MCHC form, which stands for microcrystalline hydroxycalapatite. 
Whoa. Um, and so that's basically a bone matrix. So you're getting, like I said, with the food forms, you want to get the salmon with bones in or the sardines. So anytime we can actually consume the bone, we're going to get the highest bioavailability. This has that MCHC from grass-fed New Zealand cows, very bioavailable. And that means that the calcium is going to go back into the bone where it belongs versus a different form like calcium citrate, which is higher prone towards going into the soft tissues and driving calcification or complications in the arteries and such. So this is definitely one that's going to help specifically with bone repletion because of that 3 to 5% bone loss that we see postpartum. Okay. And then what about just a general anti-inflammatory support? Yes. So for anti-inflammatory, I would recommend the super turmeric. So, um, you know, the fish oil would be one element of anti-inflammatory, but our super turmeric is awesome as a beneficial compound to use really in replacement of like Aleve or Advil. So instead of using an NSAID, which can cause distress to the gut, the super turmeric is a compound of dried curcuminoids as well as oil of turmeric combined. So it actually activates both the fat-soluble and water-soluble antioxidant properties of the turmeric and has been shown in research to be superior as far as bioavailability and absorption. So one to two, sometimes upwards of three a day would be appropriate. This is definitely fine during breastfeeding. I will say during your pregnancy, you want to keep turmeric at moderate amounts. I would not go over one capsule a day unless you're in that third trimester and looking to help with contractions because it uh, actually can cause a little bit of uterine lining thinning and onset of early labor. So definitely one that would not be recommended during pregnancy, but postpartum, a great anti-inflammatory support. Okay. So beyond talking about how to get back on track in terms of nutrition and supplements, um, how beyond just symptoms that we've talked about, how else can we know if things are balanced or if something is out of balance in the body? Are there labs that we could look at? Oh yeah. And I'm surprised. Well, not always, but I'm, I'm sometimes surprised how little maintenance and work is done postpartum. It's like you do this dynamic thing of delivering this baby. You get this huge cliff raise and drop of hormones and nutrients and, like I said, the endorphins and adrenaline and, and all of that. And then there's very little care postpartum. I had one appointment, uh, I had appointments with my midwife, which she was much more hands-on, but as far as the high-risk surgeon, I had one appointment, and it was at, I believe, four or, or six weeks out, and they didn't even run any blood. I had to request blood. They just like kind of looked at my stitches and were like, well, you look good. <laughs> Are you breastfeeding? Are you having any issues? Okay, here we go. And um, I was like, well, I'd really like to look at my thyroid. Uh, be that my mom has Hashimoto's and, you know, I, I, I know thyroid is impacted during dynamic times of stress as well as during dynamic shifts in hormones. And so I definitely recommend having your thyroid looked at at six weeks and then again at maybe three to six months, depending on what it looked like at six weeks. So often we can see the T3 get a little bit elevated in that early onset of postpartum. Uh, but we really want to watch, and that will reset, so you can kind of watch that reset, and that makes you your hypermetabolic, so that actually helps with the weight loss, and that's kind of a survival reset mechanism. So T3 will often be elevated in the early onset postpartum. 
but we really want to monitor and also watch and ask to see the TPO, the thyroid peroxidase, and the thyroid globulin antibodies, the antithyroid globulins. This is actually looking at autoimmune distress and inflammation in the thyroid gland itself. And so these are things we'd want to monitor. And, and I believe my antithyroid globulin was mildly elevated. And now that I'm on my MRT protocol, I just did a retest and it's back into the regular zone. So had I not been monitoring it and then gone forward with some leaky gut treatment, I could have been higher prone towards the Hashimoto's or that autoimmune distress in that gland had I not taken those steps and monitored and, and done the self-care. Yeah, I recently heard a statistic. I don't know how accurate this was, but it was from a thyroid doc who said, and more of a naturopathic or functional medicine doctor, um, who said that one in 12 women after delivering a baby will develop some level of autoimmune thyroid disease. Yes. One in what? One in 12 was wow. what uh, okay. she said. I, I would believe Pretty it. Pretty high. I believe it. Yep. So definitely. So thyroid's one to watch. And then, you know, beyond thyroid, I definitely recommend looking at the micronutrient test that we offer. This is a great maintenance at six months plus. So don't run it any earlier than six months. Your body is still repleting. And honestly, some of the supplements that we'd want to recommend may not be sound during breastfeeding. So six plus months, maybe nine months or 12 months would be the gold standard of when to run your micronutrients. And this is a great maintenance and assessment of where you're at and then how we can get you out of the woods as quickly as possible with supplement nutritional therapies, as well as specific food as medicine goals to replete your body's needs. Okay. And then how would we test the hormones that we were talking about, Allie? Yep. So the Neurohormone Complete Plus would look at all of those sexual hormones, as well as the adrenal gland, which is that primary gland that responds to stress in the body. So we look at the cortisol and DHEA. And then we'd also get a good glance at the neurotransmitters for any mood issues like the anxiety, depression, and the cognitive influences like multitasking and memory, how those B vitamins help to keep you at bay. And then if we need to intervene with actual any neurotransmitter compounds, this could be done primarily post uh, breastfeeding. So that would be done kind of at that one year period. But if we're having dynamic concerns of mood and instability, we might want to run this panel a little bit earlier. Um, if we're not symptomatic, I would wait one cycle post breastfeeding so that your hormones reset uh, so that we can kind of really see where you're at as far as the sexual hormones. So it's both that idea of the hormonal reset and some of the interventions that we would recommend wouldn't necessarily be sound during breastfeeding. So right, right. best to wait sure. if you can. Yes. Um, so let's tie together then, Allie, let's go back to talking about food for a minute and let's tie together um, and come up with a couple of meal ideas. Um, so one option maybe for post-delivery, let's do one um, just for general balance of the nutrients that we talked about and then one for energy. Okay. And all in our last five minutes because I have a patient. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're going to look at uh, post-delivery. I would highly recommend gelatin and bone broth. So this is going to be super therapeutic. It is going to help with repair of tissue. It's going to help to line and seal the GI if you had any distress, again, with the IV antibiotics or with any other interventions. And um, doing gelatin in the form of jello, I think is a great recommendation. I had a lot brought to the hospital. I did the uh, Just Juice, like the RW Nudsen 
blueberry juice with water and gelatin and didn't add any sweetener. And I was literally mowing that down like four times a day. <laughs> and uh, then I was sipping on bone broth ongoing. And I really think that that helped my recovery. I was up requesting my uh, IV to be taken out within, I, I think it was eight hours post birth and walking around at 12 when most women are, are going to be bed set for 24 hours post c-section when it's pretty dynamic so that definitely helps with rebound and recovery so gelatin would be key uh, and then i think we gave you all a good amount of snacks and ideas for the the during delivery but salmon with braised greens would be an awesome idea so we have in the naturally nourished cookbook an awesome braised green recipe that you can make with bone broth chili flakes uh, very flavorful great for the folic acid and the b vitamins and the calcium and then we could do salmon, like the maple glazed salmon with that would be another great recipe in the cookbook that we could do as a nice entree. And maybe you could thumbnail recipes from the cookbook and have friends make them for you and do a little meal delivery thing. That could definitely work. Um, I think we talked about liver pate. So that's a big hit as far as a superfood. And then maca would be one that I'd mention because maca can help with progesterone rebound. Maca is one that I... I did take during pregnancy and postpartum and is sound. It is a root, a uh, Peruvian root, which has been taken for thousands of years and consumed as a food. And this can help with natural progesterone support and progesterone rebound, as well as increase energy and be an adaptogen, reduce that stress demand on the body. So taking maca as a supplement or incorporating maca into your smoothie would be a great option. And then we talked about nut butters. And I also think um, I'm going to be posting, I'll try to get it up before this episode airs, um, a lactation cookie. So a quick, Ooh. compact bite. Yeah. So I came up with the recipe because a friend just had a baby and <laughs> she's been loving them. Her husband and my husband have been loving them. Um, <laughs> Brewer's yeast and all the good stuff, molasses, lockstrap molasses, all those things. Exactly. Cool. And just cool. a high calorie, easy delivery, something that you can hold in right. one hand and have yes. a baby in the other hand. Yes. Um, and high fat, you know, so I, I said, that's the hardest thing. So nut butter packs on the go are awesome. Trader Joe's just came out with coconut oil packs, which you can take on the go and just literally shoot them or put them into tea and blend them on the go. Uh, also uh, incorporating nuts and bringing those into your purse, like macadamia nuts are a great compact option. Again, think of how you can get fats in a quick delivery form. And that, that's definitely a big thing to look at. And then another blog post to look at that's already up um, is our adult Lunchables blog. So this is just kind of one of Allie's little ideas for ways to piecemeal and still have a balanced meal while you're just snacking and, and kind of biting on, you know, you choose your protein, you choose your fat, choose your carbs and choose your non-starchy vegetables. And it can be literally anything that's left over in the fridge and just kind of piecemeal something together. So, you know, yesterday I had as an example of that cubes of raw aged cheese. I had some cut up, uh, oh no, pulled rotisserie chicken from the night before as my protein. And the cheese was also the protein, but also fat. And then I had Marcona almonds, uh, about 12 of those. And then I also had some pickled ginger lemon carrots. So those had probiotics in them and also vegetable. And then, you know, that's not a very high vegetable lunch. I accept it as that. And then two of my other meals are I incorporate greens in my smoothie and it all comes out in the wash. But these work really well. And you could, in your adult lunchable, incorporate leftover roasted veggies. I do that often where I'll have like leftover roasted turmeric, uh, cauliflower or something like that. And that'll just go on my plate too. 
I think I did something very similar for my lunch today, (laughs) right before this podcast. Awesome, awesome. Good. At least you're not munching on it during. (laughs) So I think uh, the last resource that I'd pitch to you all, I know we've given so, so many, so that we've given you supplement resources, we've given you lab resources to recommend and, and, and consider looking at. And the last resource would be that Naturally Nourished Cookbook. It does have a 12-week meal plan. So if you're feeling overwhelmed with all of this, this will give you guidance and help you with planning ahead. And that's definitely key to get some preparation, planning, grocery shopping, and then just execution. And asking for help is fine. Remember, you guys, it took nine plus months to carry this child. Your body really needs nine plus months for the recovery process. So honor your body and be mindful of the influence on your body and uh, take that into account and, and, and claim that ownership of needing the time and energy to invest in your, yourself and your health so that you can be there to be the best mama you can be. All right. So thank you all for tuning in to the Naturally Nourished podcast. As always, please share your love for us and the podcast uh, by reviewing us on iTunes and post any questions over on AllieMillerRD.com on the podcast page under Ask Allie. Uh, This podcast page will also be where we'll have the episode notes and any of the resources that we shared today. And the site also has a supplement shop and virtual classes as well as recipes on our blog. Okay, everyone, keep rocking out your food as medicine journey, and thank you for letting us be a part of it. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.